0: Awesome. Well, welcome. Hey, welcome to Redemption Park. If you're new here, my name is Mark. It's a pleasure to worship God with you. I do want to just give a shout out to the four people that were here on time at nine when we start. So thank you for coming. just love that, that you're here. Uh, but thank you for showing up in spite of the fog. So glad that you came as well. Um, hey, if you have a Bible, I hope you do, you can turn with us to the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament. It's the story of, uh, of the power and the purpose of the church, which is the same for us and has been the same for, for 2,000 years. And it'll be same until Jesus comes back. And one of the convictions I have right here is that all of us are, uh, uh, the Bible would describe us, if you're a follower of Christ, uh, to follow Christ means to uh, follow Christ. That means to be a a Christian. That, That means to be on mission. The Bible would say you are a sent one. So as you are going... Uh, Go, therefore, as you are going, and make disciples of all nations. That's true for every one of us. And for some reason uh, in 2019, we've sometimes in our Christian walk, we think uh, missions and and doing ministry and doing life uh, on mission is for like, it's a 401 class, and you're only in 101 Christianity, and someday maybe you'll do some of that, but really you don't plan on it. No, to be a follower of Christ is to be on mission. So when Jesus said to the disciples, come and I will make you fishers of men, it was tied with following Jesus. So to be a follower of Christ is to be on mission. So I want to ask you, what does that look like? Or maybe if I ask this question, if God was to answer all of your prayers over the last year, just today, how would Parker look different? Which of your neighbors would know Jesus? Which of your family members would, would be walking with Jesus just, just, out, just out of your prayer life? So that's, that's too convicting. So let's move on with that. Uh, no, I, I fear and I see the same tendency in me. And, I, and you know, you guys, I, I mean, I'm a pastor. Like, I, I, get, I get paid to be good, right? Like, you guys are good for nothing. And um, I just, I, so, like, I should be doing this naturally. But, but I, I feel sometimes that there's a, what I'll call a practical atheism in, in our walk. What I mean by that is, uh, you know, we, we do truly believe, but when we go outside there, like, we don't really think God's going to show up in a, in a profound way. We don't really believe that God would have us in our neighborhoods for a specific reason, uh, to be a salt and light. And so we just kind of live practically like God doesn't really exist. And that affects our prayer life. It affects all sorts of things. And so we're going through the book of Acts and, and saying, God, would you restore In us, a passion and a purpose in in our lives individually and as a church. I mean, have you ever prayed really outside-the-box prayers? Where where the only way those prayers were going to be answered was if God showed up in a profound way so you could say, no, God was clearly in this. Uh, I was to my shame thinking about that in my life again. I've been a Christian like 23 24 years now and I'm like man There have there been a couple times where I just prayed outside the box prayers and and, and looking back like god answered those I, Why don't I pray more like that? Uh, thinking about one one day. I was about 21 years ago. No 20 years ago right now. I was in the Czech Republic I was a student I was at CSU, and I was studying in the Czech Republic, studying economics. I was a new Christian, and I just thought, hey, uh, I'll do one of these prayer walks. I've heard Christians talk about that, and so I didn't know what that meant. I got my backpack, put some clothes in, it. I planned on spending the night somewhere, and I went down to the train station. I'm praying, Lord, just show me what you're doing. Lead me to where you're at work, and I want to just see where you're at work in this country. Now, this is the most atheist country in the world. Czech Republic. And so, but I still believe God is at work. And so, I don't even know how the train system works. I don't speak the language, but I'm like, uh, what's the first train? Uh, and I somehow get on the first train, and I, I go. And uh, uh, after about three hours, I arrive in a place. I'm like, I've heard of this place. It's the second largest city. It's Brno, Czech Republic. And so, I get off the train, and, and I look around, and it's kind of like today, but colder. The, the clouds have moved in, and it starts snowing, and, it, and, and just sometimes the weather can affect your your attitude and outlook right and it's immediately i'm depressed by the city and and i'm trying to pray okay lord show me what you're doing i don't know how you're going to do that because i don't speak the language i don't know anyone here this is before smartphones there's no trip advisor there's no airbnb i don't know where i'm going to stay lord but i just want to see what you're doing and as i'm walking i'm just kind of getting increasingly depressed like what am i doing I don't, I don't see anything going on in this city. This seems like the most miserable city I've been in in my life. And, and so uh, I, I finally, I don't have a map or anything, I, but somehow make my way to Namnysi Svobody. That's the Freedom Square. Like I'm like, okay. And to my shame and delight, I see the Golden Arches, McDonald's. That's where I'm going. And so I, I go to McDonald's, and, and I eat a meal, and I'm like, this was dumb. I, I, don't, I, I don't know what I thought, God. I guess I'm just... A new Christian. I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna head back to the train station, get on the train, and head back. I'm like, well, really missed the boat on that one. So w- what's funny about that <laughs> is that, long story short, years later, when the Lord calls us to plant churches in the Czech Republic, we first settle on a mission agency in, called Pioneers. And I said, okay, where are you guys working? And they're like, oh, only in one place in Brno, Czech Republic. <laughs> are you serious? I hate that place. Uh, At God's sense of humor, we moved to Brno, and, and God's like, oh, I'll answer your prayer 15 years later. Uh, not only will I show you what I'm doing in the city, I'll invite you to be a part of that. I was like, wow, Lord. There was another time we were living in Japan. I was a pastor of a military community. It was Veterans Day weekend. So this is Memorial Day weekend. In the fall, it's Veterans Day. And I took two guys with me. We were going to go camping on an island called Izana Island small little 10-mile circumference island, about two, mile, two hours ferry right away. Uh, I did some research ahead of time. There's 1,500 people there, and, and uh, I, I was trying to find anything in English. I found this blog from this Scottish guy who taught English in the schools there for six months, and I was like, okay, that's all I know about this island, Kirk. And so as we're on the ferry there with two guys, I said, hey guys, I want us to be praying as we, as we walk around this island, as we camp. Let's just pray two things. They're like, okay, what are we gonna to pray. Let's ask God to show us what he's doing on this island. You're like, really? Like, it's just a tiny island. There's probably no churches. But okay, we'll we'll pray that. And then the second thing, this is kind of weird, but let's ask God that we could eat one of our meals in the home of a local. Like, we don't know. You know anyone there? No, I don't know anyone there. We just want to just go into someone's house and, and eat like have them invite us in. We're like, really okay. So we're praying that prayer and we're walking and like there's no one on this island. And so um, we're like, okay, we pray every meal. We pray, Lord, show us what you're doing. And we want to eat in the home of a local. And the first day goes by, we don't meet anybody, and we sleep on the beach. And next day we get up and and we're praying. And again, uh, it doesn't seem like anything's happening here. And it's start, starting to get in the afternoon, and we're getting hungry, and, and we go into the village and try to find. A store where we can get some food. And I go into the store, and uh, as we're getting our stuff, I, I look at the cashier and I look behind the cashier, and I see a picture of a bunch of Japanese kids and a white guy, and I'm like, that's Kirk who I saw online through the blog. I don't really know Kirk, but I'm like, Kirk. And she goes, Kirk? And she gets out her kids, and they start pointing, and they say, talk very fast. I don't know what they're saying. And they're like, Kirk, Kirk, Kirk. And they're like, you know Kirk? I'm like, well, kind of, yeah, kind of I know Kirk. <laughs> and... Uh, so, so they're like, I'm now the celebrity. Kirk has gone back to Scotland, and, and they're like excited. And so I'm like, okay, cool. So I go out, and we sit on the curb of the street and start eating our food. And we literally say to each other, well, I guess God's not going to answer our prayer. I guess God's not going to show us how he's work, working here. And we're certainly not going to eat in anyone's home, because tomorrow morning we go back to uh, Okinawa. And as we're sitting there, up drives, the strangest thing, up drives a Chevy Astrovan. Which, you got to understand, in Japan, on a tiny island, that's crazy. And there's this giant white guy in there. And he gets out, and he says, hello. He's got this thick Swedish accent. He's from Sweden. I'm like, okay. He's like, what are you guys doing here? And I was like, this is crazy. We're just trying to see what God's doing on this island. He's like, whoa. I'm a pastor here. I'm the missionary here. Like, okay, well, tell me. He's like, get in my car. I want to take you to my home and show you my church. And, and he's telling us a story that in the 80s, he'd come from Sweden to, to, to ride Harleys and to get tattoos and to do drugs. And in the midst of that, he got married. He was going through a divorce. He had moved back to Sweden. His wife had gotten cancer and said, would you just come back and be with me as this thing comes to a close? And in the meantime, she had become a Christian. And the night before she died at Christ Hospital in Cincinnati, uh, she said, Will you please just talk to my pastor? He said, Okay. And the pastor leads him to faith in Jesus. And she dies the next day. And now he's in the middle of America, doesn't know anyone. And he gets plugged into a tiny little church in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma. And there's a Japanese girl from ok- Okinawa there. And one story short, they get married. They feel called to go be missionaries and go to these tiny little islands where there's no gospel presence. I'm like, yes, that's what God's doing. I'm like, this, we, we see his little church and there's it's like five people come to church on a Sunday. And he's like, can we sing a hymn together? I'm like, yeah, what what do you want to sing? He said, I want to sing little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. I'm like, yeah, amen. And so we, we sing that. And then he's like, hey, will you guys have dinner with us in our home today? I'm like, yeah, we will. We were planning on it. And uh, he's like, great. And so we get to have dinner with him and his kids. And that just began this uh, kind of long friendship with Carl, encouraging him, uh, sending him food from the commissary, all, all sorts of things. And, 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 and I look back and I'm like, when I pray those outside-the-box prayers, there are times when God clearly shows up. This is a God moment. So why don't I pray like that more? Well, this passage that we're going to look at in Acts chapter 8 is going to confront us on that. It's going to make us uncomfortable. Because depending on where, where, what background you're, you're from, you, you probably uh, either don't have any church background or you come from one of two traditions. And, and the one is, uh, man, we're just going to focus on the ordinary means of God's grace. We're going to look at the Bible. We're going to pray. We're going to go to church. And that's all good. But what we don't like to talk about is the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like, we believe in the Trinity, we just just don't talk, like it gets weird when we talk about the Holy Spirit, and so uh, let's just focus on the ordinary means of grace. And so that's some of us. And then others of you, you come from a background where that's all you've talked about. The Holy Spirit doing this and that, and like it's, it's associated with like just high energy and emotionalism, and so you don't really want the boring, ordinary means of grace. You want to see the Holy Spirit show up in power, and this passage is going to show you that They're not opposed to each other. That God uses both extraordinary means and ordinary means for the glory of God and the joy of all people, and they're interwoven together. And so God wants us to have this this kind of balance, this, this grip saying, God, you are God. And Jesus says two things about the Holy Spirit in the book of John. First, he talks about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3, and he says, It's like the wind. You can't tell where he comes from or where he's going, but you hear it sound, and the Spirit is like that. He's unpredictable. And then he says in John chapter 16, he says, the Spirit, when the Spirit comes, he'll teach you all truth, and he will glorify me. So the Spirit is unpredictable, and he has a purpose. And the Spirit's purpose is to make much of Jesus. And so these two things are intentioned even in this passage. And Philip is going to walk in both of those, and he's going to be totally comfortable with that. See, the one book we have in the New Testament that shows us how the Spirit works and how the Spirit moves, why should we think that that was only then and not for now? I think God wants us to kind of enter into the tension of the two in this moment. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 8. And we'll walk through it here together. Uh, I'll start in verse 26. Again, as I read the word, listen carefully. This is God's word. It says now, an angel of the Lord. So immediately there's uh, an extraordinary movement, an extraordinary movement of of God, right? This is extraordinary. Like I'm guessing no one here this morning had a conversation with an angel And, and probably no one's ever had a conversation with an angel. But in this moment, an angel comes and said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then he adds this note. This is a desert place. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because if you were here last week, you'll, you'll see that Philip, who is not, a, not an apostle, he wasn't a disciple, he's an ordinary Christian walking in extraordinary power. And what, the thing I love about Philip is there's no reason why this can't be true of you and me, that the, the power of God could work in and through both extraordinary means and ordinary means in our lives. Well, last week, we saw that he was in Samaria. Now, this was just blowing the Jewish Christians' minds, that, that God was extending mercy and grace to the hated Samaritans, and, and the gospel was beginning to go out. And we see at the early in the chapter, in verse 6, it says, And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. That's extraordinary work and presence of the Holy Spirit in Philip's life. Verse 8. So there was much joy in that city. Like in every conceivable way, this is this should be all of our dream as Christians. All, every minister's dream. Like you're, you're in a place. God is at work clearly to show that this all-surpassing power is from him and not from us. And there's a massive revival breaking out. There's celebration going on. Like it's springtime in the hills of Samaria. There's trees with leaves on. It's green. It's beautiful. And now, now God says, go to a desert place. And, he has to send, and I imagine he has to send an angel to do that because uh, for you and me, we, we'd have very good arguments to be like, no, Lord, like, like this is working. Like uh, people are coming into Christ in droves. I got to disciple them. Like I'm planning churches. Like you, you're doing amazing things. Like I'm not going to go to a desert place. Like there's crowds here that need me. But God sends him an angel and says, I want you to go. Once you go to a desert place, so that's an extraordinary work of God beginning in Philip's life again. And then you see the ordinary faithfulness of Philip in verse 27. And he rose and went. And again, don't read this as a newspaper story or as an account. Like enter into, this is a real time and place event that took place in Philip's life. And Philip is like you and me. And that had to be painful for him. This is what we call a gospel goodbye. Like he, he had to leave, flee Jerusalem when his friend Stephen got murdered. And he had to say goodbye to his friends, his family, and his church. And he, got, he fled to Samaria. And there God worked through him, and a new church was born. And he had new friends and new experiences. And all of a sudden, God says, I want you to leave there as well. That's painful. I say that because my prayer as a pastor of this church is that God would allow us to have gospel goodbyes, that out of you, old and young, and those that are not even born yet, God will raise up and send out from this place across the city, across the nation, and across the world. But I just want to acknowledge, when that happens, that's going to hurt When we send Matthew and Lauren and the core team out later this year in September, like we will celebrate, but we'll also be like, ouch, like there will be a loss, but we'll lose the gifts that they have and they bring. I told Matthew last week, hey man, if I wasn't a pastor, I would go to your church because I love to hear you preach the word. And so when he leaves, that's going to be painful for me, but it's worth it. And when your kids come to you and they say, I think the Lord is calling me to go to the mission field. Man, one of the greatest stumbling blocks for that is parents and grandparents. You can acknowledge that hurts. That's painful. But acknowledge that the gospel goodbyes are worth it for the end that Jesus is glorified and the nations are satisfied in him. So he asked Philip to do a hard thing, to go to a hard place, to have some hard goodbyes. So then you see the sovereignty of God clearly at work, both in Philip's life and in this guy's life. Look at this. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch. Notice all the descriptors Luke uses. An Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court of the official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So, Philip, I want you to get up and walk 120 miles from this lush green area of Samaria into the desert, no trees, no nothing. I want you to go. In the meantime, you see, God is clearly at work, in this guy who is a different skin color from a different part of the world, from a different continent, from from what would be modern-day Sudan— and a very big region at that time uh, that was called Ethiopia at, at that time. It says he was a eunuch. That just means at great cost to himself to get this position of honor and prestige in the court of the queen and to be wealthy beyond imagine and to control the finances of an entire country. He was willing to emasculate himself. If you don't know what that is, Pastor Matthew will tell you later. <laughs> and... Uh, and at a great cost, meaning he wouldn't have kids, he wouldn't pass on his generation, um, and, and have everything in his country, insofar as that's concerned, handed to him. And yet there was a dissatisfaction in his soul that God was stirring. All the wealth, all the prestige, all the power was not satisfying his soul. And so he had heard, hey, maybe there's this God I hear about. He's called the living God of the universe, and he's in Jerusalem. And so he, at great cost and great time and great danger to himself and his servants, gets on his chariot, and they're carrying him, and they walk a thousand miles from North Africa into Jerusalem. And he's like, I'm here to worship. And they're like, okay, but you don't look like us. Yeah, I'm, I'm not like you, but I've heard that, that, that people from all over the globe can come and worship. And they're like, well, kind of. you you got to go to the temple if, if you want to worship. But if you want to do that, um, I've got, got kind of bad news for you. There is a way for Gentiles to come into the worship of God, but just kind of. There's a place called the Court of the Gentiles. So, so you can kind of go on the outside of the temple. It's like, okay, so the Jewish people go inside. Their, well, kind of. They go a little bit further. But then there's a, another place that only one person is allowed to go each year. It's the Holy of Holies. And so, so God's kind of hard to get to. He's like, "All right, well, let's let, let's let's do it." And he's walking up, and, and, and this is not in the text, but I imagine them just saying, "So, what do you do?" I see all these servants. He's like, "Well, I'm I'm the CFO of of, of Ethiopia." I'm like, "Oh wow!" So uh, I've heard about that. Like, you're a you know eunuch. <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm a eunuch. That, that's part of the deal." I'm like, "Oh, well, the thing is, in our law." I'm, in Deuteronomy 23, 1, it says that eunuchs aren't allowed in the temple at all. You're unholy. So I'm sorry you've come all this way, but you can't even go into the court of the Gentiles since you're not you're not allowed. It's like, what? Like this took like three months to get here. And I can't even go in and worship God. And just imagine the disappointment in his soul. So he's like, Well, I, I got to go back. I got to bring a gift to, to the queen. Like, I, I got money. What's the most valuable thing I could buy? Well, we got one thing. It's really, really expensive. Like, in our dollars, it'd be a couple hundred thousand dollars. It's like, What, what is it? Well, it's, it's our scriptures. It's like, all right, I'll, I'll, buy, I'll buy the scriptures. Give, give me the scriptures. He gets back on his chariot, begins a three-month journey back. And, and when you're about 100 miles outside on the Gaza Strip, and, and it's desert, there's no water, there's no trees, uh, there's no, the Netflix is terrible back then, there, there, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no nothing. I imagine just sitting there, just reflecting on your disappointment, looking over at this $200,000 scroll and be like, I wonder what that says. I mean, I got time. I got months. Let's roll that thing out. And it says, Luke tells us that he is reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, Philip doesn't know this at this point. Philip has just uh, followed God in the ordinary means of faithfulness. said, okay, God, I'll go where you go. I don't know what, you, you didn't tell me where, but I'm going to step out in faith. And then we see extraordinary spirit interaction once again. Verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, I don't know how the Spirit said to Philip, but the Bible is clear. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Again, Philip doesn't know that he's reading Isaiah or anything, but look what he does. So Philip ran to him. He ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, you, What you need to understand is even today in the Middle East, respectable men do not run. Like you'd be a fool to run. Like, who's this dude? He's 35 years old. He's running. And he comes running up next to the chariot. Here's the thing. Philip was not too cool for the mission of God. I think a great barrier to the gospel going out into our city is that you, you have this incessant need to be cool. You think that if you're just cool enough, people will come to know Jesus we have skinny jeans and flat screens and fog machines, people will come to know Jesus. And someday they'll say, hey, you're really cool. I'd like to be cool. Oh, it's because of Jesus. That's never going to happen. So you can just die to that right now. The gospel is not cool. It's foolishness to the Greeks, the Bible says, and a stumbling block to the Jews. But it is the power of God for salvation. There is an urgency to the gospel getting out, and it's got to get past us wanting to be liked all the time. We've got to get past this idea that if my neighbors think I'm cool, maybe someday, I don't know when, in some future nebulous time, they're going to look at me and say, I want to be a Christian too. No, if you do that, they might just think you're a Mormon because you're nice. <laughs> it's not cool. And there's an urgency to it. So he's like, You know what? It's not cool for me to run, but the Spirit said, Go, I'm going to run. And he's running. And as he's running, he's like, What you reading? <laughs> and he hears what he's reading. And this just reflects that that Philip, even though God is doing extraordinary things by the Spirit of God in his life, that has been preceded by some ordinary means of God's grace. He's spent time knowing God, pursuing God, knowing the Word. So when he hears what's being read, he's like, "I know what's that. I know what that is." He's like, "This is why you did it." So God uses extraordinary means and ordinary faithfulness. Now He's going to use ordinary means for extraordinary results. Look what happens. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said to him, the the eunuch said, sorry, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. It's from Isaiah chapter 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, before its share is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Now, if you know anything about the book of Isaiah, you probably know about Isaiah 53. Like, it is the heart of the Bible. Like, there is no clearer passage in the Old Testament that points to Jesus. And you're thinking, yeah, if I go and someone's reading Isaiah, that's like a softball. I would hit that out of the park, right? Like, this week I was in Seattle. I took an Uber pool. That means there's other people in the car. I'm like, God, if she's reading Isaiah, I'm all over that. She wasn't reading Isaiah. She put on her headphones and turned away. I was like, okay, this is great. And you're like, yeah, I would. I mean, how easy would that be if they're reading Isaiah? I would do the same thing. Would you, though? W- would you first hear the voice of an angel and walk 120 miles to go to a desert place? W- would you hear the Spirit of God and, and be undignified and be willing to be uncool and, and go running up alongside the chariot? I don't think we necessarily would. So it was all these things that preceded this. Clearly, God is at work, both in Philip and in this eunuch. So here's one of the takeaways that you need to know. When when we leave this room, collectively in this room, we will encounter thousands of thousands of people this week. And God is at work in their life, and God is at work in your life. Are you prepared for when he brings us to a cross-section? Philip was prepared. And so the guy is like, is this about, who is this about, the prophet or someone else? And he's like, oh, it's someone else. I'm going to tell you who that. Look what he says, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and begin, beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip had an open mouth and an open Bible. These are very ordinary means of God's grace. And it says, he told him the good news. The word is the euangelion, the gospel of Jesus. Here's the deal. There is this thought that if we just live Christian enough lives, someday everyone around us will become Christians. And it's wrong. It's attributed back to uh, St. Francis of Assisi. Maybe you've heard this. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. It sounds amazing except for the gospel is a proclamation of, what, of news. You can't live, you, you should live in light of the gospel, but you can't live that out. No one's going to look at your life and say, I bet Jesus died on the cross for me. No one's going to do that. And so with an open mouth and an open Bible, he begins to share the gospel. This is a powerful, ordinary means of God's grace. Max Stiles, who's a missionary church planner in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. He wrote this book through nine marks called Evangelism. Listen to what he says about these ordinary means of the Bible open. If I can turn to it. No. Okay. He says this. When I have led people to Christ over the years, it has usually been because a non-Christian was willing to study the scriptures with me. Perhaps it was a group of students looking into the gospel of Mark at a camp or conference. It could have been a couple of people in a coffee shop or just one person during a lunch break. No matter where or with whom, the process is simple. We read the passage, talk about it, what it means. Over time, in ones and twos, people come to Jesus because they are taught the gospel. Such teaching may not be as exciting as a massive revival, but if every Christian in Redemption Parker and every Christian did this with non Christian friends, it would have far greater reach and authenticity. An open mouth, an open Bible. So I went to a conference once, and, and one of the workshops just was making this argument that uh, if you just invite non-Christian, non-believers to read the Bible with you, they did a survey uh, of non-church-going, non-believing people, 75% of them said, yeah, I'd be willing to read the Bible with someone if they asked me. And I was like, no way, that's not true, I'm going to test this out. So I flew back to Japan, and there's this guy, Jeremy. He wasn't a believer. His wife was. But I was like, hey, Jeremy, do you, do you want to get together and read the Bible? He was like, yeah. I was like, <laughs> "I was like, so when do you want to do it? He was like, let's do it every Tuesday. I'm like, okay. So we're just going to go through the Gospel of Mark, and we'll talk about it. He's like, okay, sounds good. And every Tuesday, he text me, hey, we getting together? Like the most faithful non-Christian I know. He's like, yeah, okay, we'll get together. And, and we went through that. And you know what? He didn't come up, become a believer until I was in the Czech Republic. And I get a text saying, hey, Jeremy's become a believer. He's wondering if you will fly back to Japan and baptize him. I'm like, that's a, that, yes, that's awesome. But it was just ordinary means. An open Bible and an open mouth. And so that's why at our, in our gospel communities, our time in the Bible is very simple. We read it out loud together. We recite it. We ask, what does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about ourselves? How can we apply this in our lives? And who can we share this with? And the reason we do it like that is because we want to train each other how to have an open Bible and open mouth in normal conversations with other people. Well, let's let's continue on and see what's going on here. I'm not sure where I'm going with this now. So, uh... Verse 36, and they were going along the road. Okay, so something's happened in this moment. He shared the gospel. He shared it from Isaiah 53, just so you know. uh, Take some time. Read 52, 53 today. It's just this this profound passage where the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, is talking about Jesus as a suffering servant. And it says he's pierced for our iniquity. He he says uh, all of us like sheep have gone astray. No one is worthy. All of us are marginalized. No one deserves to go into the presence of God. And so this eunuch who has been denied, this eunuch who said, you're not worthy, is hearing about a suffering servant, the one person who is worthy coming in and taking on uh, the, the sin and the shame that the eunuch had in his life. In fact, in Isaiah 56, just a couple uh, chapters later, it says this about eunuchs. It's it's amazing. Imagine they eventually got to this, and it says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from this people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, and they shall not be cut off. And so, so Philip is telling him about this suffering servant who, uh, in a sense, becomes a eunuch, does not have a generation of people so that eunuchs can come into the family of God. And he hears about a servant who takes his place and dies on a cross for his sin. And at some point in the, the conversation through the scriptures, he says, man, I believe that. I turn from my sin, and I trust in this Jesus. And at that point, uh, he has that, that's an extraordinary thing, by the way. Anytime someone comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that is a miracle, because they have transferred from death to life, from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of the Son. God loves. That's something to be celebrated. And he comes by the power of God to the family of God, and then he says, I, I want to be in obedience to God. He says, I want to take the very first step of obedience. And that's exactly what he does. He says, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He says, hey, I'm a believer. Says, you should be baptized if you're a believer. Let's do it right now. And in this desert place, at this moment, they're like, hey, there's a river here. Again, God is at work. And when they came, and it says, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. I love this story. Because at the end of the Samaritan story, it says the whole city was rejoicing. And at the end of this story, the eunuch is rejoicing. This is our vision statement. We exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people. So large groups of people and individual people. So God's economy is not like our economy. God wasn't like, well, Philip, you're doing great things, so I'm just going to keep you there. No, he's like, hey, I've got a divine appointment for you on a desert road. And you're going to be part of my rescue and redemption of this guy. And he's going to go take the gospel to Africa. You should rejoice in that. Just ordinary means, extraordinary God doing extraordinary things. And so we should be a people that, one, walks in ordinary faithfulness. He says, God, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to love people. I'm going to get to know you through your word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to gather with the saints. I'm going to go through the ordinary means of your grace to grow. But I also am going to ask you, Lord, would you do some extraordinary things in my city and in my neighborhood and in my family and in my life? Would you do some things that are evident that you are clearly at work? He wasn't afraid to walk in both worlds. We should not be afraid of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit, and we shouldn't be afraid of just the ordinary faithfulness over time, God using that. That's my prayer. That's my hope. And so just as, a, as an act of faith, I want to just invite you to do one thing. Normally when you come and you sit there, there's a Connect card. We say these are for new people, but you notice on the back, if you have a prayer request, you can put that in the box, but there's just a space to write to in it. Again, you're just going to encounter thousands and thousands of people this week. God is at work. He's doing 10,000 things in their life and 10,000 things in your life, and he might show you one or two of those. But if you were to see one or two of those this week, I'm gonna invite you to take one of those cards with you, put it in your Bible, put it in your wallet, and just as an act of faith, pray, Lord, would you show me where you're at work in this city this week? And wait, maybe it'll take 15 years, maybe it'll take two days, maybe it'll take two hours for God to say, I'm at work right here. And I'm inviting you to be a part of his, this person's story or this person's story. And would you just write a sentence or two when that happens on that card and next week come and drop that in the offering box just as, a, as evidence that like you want to walk in awareness of the power and the presence of the spirit and where he takes you, he has a purpose for that. To that end, let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Uh, for your extraordinary grace to us that any of us in this room would have eyes to see and savor Jesus as evidence that your spirit brought us from death to life, that we are born again. Lord, but that does not just start and stop at salvation. You continue to be at work and in, in presence in our lives. And so, Lord, would you just do amazingly more than we can think or imagine in our lives and through our lives this week. And Lord, help us Help us to walk in faithfulness in the ordinary means of your grace. Let us get to know you. Let us be faithful in prayer. Let us be faithful in in serving one another, faithful in worship. And would you bring those two things, those two cords into one strand to the end that Jesus has seen and savored in our lives and in our city. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.